Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you, and uh, I know uh, you're probably in a pretty good mood given all that took place uh, on the basketball court this weekend. And I don't, I'm not sure if any of them are in the room, but I know we have some in chapel, but we ought to be congratulating and celebrating that in, in 60 years now we're making a return trip to the Sweet 16. And uh, we're, we're thankful for the way those guys have been representing us and have the sense that tonight the Lady Bears will do the same. And we may be one of the only schools in the nation that have both teams going to the Sweet 16. A lot to celebrate. This is Brian Kim, and Brian's with student government, and he's going to make an announcement. Uh, hey guys, there's going to be a town hall meeting this Wednesday, March 6, uh, 24th at 6 p.m. in Draper 116. It's going to be a great opportunity for you guys to come out and ask questions directly to um, our interim president, Dr. Garland, our vice president of Student Alive, Dr. Jackson, and the chair of faculty senate, Dr. Myers. So please come out with a question prepared, um, just anything about student life or academic life on campus, or just any questions or concerns. And refreshments we provided afterwards, so stick around for that. I want to make sure everybody heard the time. It's um, it's at 6 p.m. in Draper 116 on Ch Wednesday. Chance for you to talk to President Garland, Vice President Jackson, and, and, and the chair of the faculty senate. Anything you want to talk about related to Baylor and the Baylor community, this is a good chance for you to, to do that. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Appreciate it. Let's begin our time together with prayer. Lord, hear our prayers now as we lift our hearts to you, grateful for this moment and this day. Help us not to take lightly the fact that they come to us as a gift from your heart, that embedded in this moment and in this day are things that we can wake up to and see and enjoy. And we pray that we would all be open to that here and now in very particular ways to know again your truth and to hear again your voice. This is our prayer through Christ. Amen. The work of God moves along in time in the world, and I know you'll, you'll study that in Christian heritage, this sense of the way that the gospel is getting worked out here and there and this season and that century changes it just does. It's our way as people of God of trying to do what Jesus was, and that is Jesus is this incarnation. This is who God is. And we continue over and again to try to take the gospel seriously in a way for this time and this place. That's what Christians do. That's what the church does. We're blessed to have Brian McLaren with us today, one who's been busy with that very thing and called to it is a voice in the church that encourages us to know Christ again and know Christ in our time. Brian McLaren is a former professor, a former pastor for about 25 years, who uh, currently is speaking and writing, and most of you have seen, probably read a book of Brian McLaren's. His books include A New Kind of Christian, The Church on the Other Side, a Generous Orthodoxy, The Secret Message of Jesus, Everything Must Change, and his latest book, A New Kind of Christianity. You'll see them on the table out there, and Brian will be out there to visit with you a little bit afterwards and sign books if you'd like to buy one. His writings are often controversial. They are always, I think, encouraging and for sure loving to those who are asking questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he's here to help us this morning. 
and uh, not only in chapel, but help us as a Baylor community over a day or two to think about those things. He's going to be lecturing tonight in Alexander Drawing Room at 7 o'clock, and you're welcome to be there if you'd like to hear him lecture. For now, we're blessed to have him at University Chapel, and I want you to open your mind and open your heart and certainly welcome Brian McLaren to the Waco Hall stage. Thanks. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to be with you all. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm from Maryland, and Maryland got knocked out last uh, uh, this weekend, and you guys are still in. So I feel better being here at Baylor and uh, sort of sharing in your joy with our depression. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad to be able to be here to, today to talk to you about something that I think every single one of you can play a part in. Probably you already are in many ways, but it, it's your role as being a, a spiritual friend to people who are either outside the faith, not part of the church, not part of the Christian faith, or maybe are inside but are on their way out. And of course, that might describe some of you. You're having a lot of questions and doubts. And what you need is a friend who will be a safe person to open up with about your questions. That's what I'd like to talk to you about today. A good, a good scripture that would frame what I'd like to share would be from 1 Peter chapter 3, in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. A couple things. First, this idea of being prepared. Uh, you can be perfectly prepared to answer the questions that were being asked in the 1950s or the 1970s, but it's different kinds of questions being raised today and in the years to come. And one of the things I hope you all will get through your experience here at Baylor is a sense that it's not only your, you not only have permission, you actually have an obligation to take seriously the questions that are raised, not be afraid of them, but really be curious about them and engage with them so that you can be prepared to help people who are asking questions about faith. I, I love this idea that at the center of it all, there's hope. It, it's about an attitude of hope, a hopeful attitude toward the present and the future. And then aren't those beautiful words, gentleness and respect? So often when people ask questions, what they get from the religious community is condemnation and judgment and criticism. Just believe, just accept our answers. Stop asking these questions. But the attitude that Peter advocates is the attitude that Jesus had toward people. He respected them. He showed gentleness toward them. I learned about this myself through a, a, a friendship that began one night when uh, I had to be part of a book release party. This lady at my church, uh, when my second book came out, I've written about a dozen books. When my second book came out, she said, hey, we're going to have a big book release party at the church. And I said, look, please don't do that. I, I don't want to sort of do the money changer in the temple thing. I was a pastor. I didn't want to take advantage of that. She said, no, it's already organized. It's already set up. It's on such and such a Saturday night. Be there and dress up, she said, because she knew I'm sort of a dressed down guy. So she, we set it all up. And uh, that night I showed up and she had hired those fancy caterers who have nice suits and white gloves and they carry a uh, you know, silver platter with these high carbohydrate, high fat, extremely unhealthy heart attack hors d'oeuvres. And, and, and I remember the caterer had one of those, um, those punch fountains, you know, that has this green sort of nuclear waste looking stuff coming out where you hold your little punch cup in there. And, and, and then to top it all off, she'd hired a young woman about the age of many of y'all. She was, uh, I think, a junior and in uh, college, she'd hired her from the local university to play background music on the harp. 
So if you can imagine waiters and harp music, and I'm signing books, and, and then they do a little interview, you know, why did you write this book, and that kind of a thing, and then signing more books and more harp music and more punch, and then I was actually quite happy when the night was over, and I was about to leave the building, when I looked out the front window and noticed the student, uh, she was like 23 years old, uh, I'm sorry, 21 years old, and she was kind of short, and, and she's lugging this big concert harp out the front door, and she's got a, a minivan over here with the hatch open, and I'm thinking to myself, how is that little woman going to get that big harp into the minivan? My first thought, my second thought was, I'm really glad I play guitar instead of harp, and my next thought was, somebody ought to help her, and nobody's around, so I guess it's me. So I went outside, and I said, um, you know, could I help you? And she said, yeah, please put one hand here and one hand here, and then on three left, and we're sliding the harp into the van, and I said to her, this harp's probably pretty expensive, isn't it? She said, cost a lot more than the van. So at that point, I was really careful, and we're putting it in, and right as we're getting it in the van, she says to me, I'm, I'm glad I'm getting to meet you. Uh, I never heard of you before. I don't go to church. I'm not a religious person or anything. She said, but um, while they were interviewing you, I leafed through your book, and I, I thought I'd ask you a question. If that's okay, I said, sure. She said, here's my question. Do you really believe all that stuff you wrote in the book, or are you just trying to make Christianity sound good? I said, look, I'm just into this for the money. Uh, no, I, I said, uh, uh, believe me, there's not much money. I said, I, I'm just into this. Uh, uh, no, I said, I'm serious. I believe this stuff, but I'm interested in your question. What's behind that question? She said, I, I just want to know, do you really believe Christianity is good or are you just trying to make it sound good? I said, look, it's 10.30 on a Saturday night and I got to get up early tomorrow and work. I said, but I'd love to stay in touch with you. I have an idea. So I ran inside. I got a copy of the book. I wrote my email address down. I said, if you want to read this book and you want to talk, here's my email address. I'd love to stay in touch with you because it's obvious you've got a lot of things going on. And sounds like you have some, some good questions. Well, I never expected that the next night, you know, I got up and went to church, preached a couple sermons, went home. That night, I, I had a, a, this email waiting. Hi, Brian. Do you for, prefer to be called Brian? This is April, the harpist from your book signing party. I read your book this morning. Now, at this point, I'm already impressed because it was 306 pages long, you know. And I'm thinking, you, you read the whole book. Um, she says, it caused me to think a lot about a lot of things. I actually would like to tell you about it, but I'm afraid this email will be very lengthy. I don't want to burden you. I understand you listen to a lot of people every day, so I'm not sure. But I really need to talk to someone, and I can't think of anyone else I can talk to about religion. Now, what I'd like to do for the next couple minutes is I'd like to let April be a kind of informant to help all of us who grew up in the church, for whom Christianity and the church is all very familiar, I'd like her to be an informant to help us understand what it feels like to be on the outside looking in, or maybe even on the edge with one foot out. Um, and, and the first thing I think she can tell us, you see here, isn't it interesting? She wants to not put a burden on me, but she's hoping that I will be someone she can talk to. She's not looking for someone to talk to her. She's looking for a conversation partner. You could say it like this. She's not interested in sales. She's interested in service. Like, for example, you know, if, if you don't have an iPhone and you're thinking about getting one, if you go to the Apple store and you talk to the salesperson, you know they're only going to tell you the good things about the iPhone. They won't tell you the downsides, you know. It, it, to, to learn the whole picture, you need to have a friend who actually has one, has had one for a while, who will be honest with you about both sides of things. 
That's what people need when it comes to faith. Not, they, they need a customer review, not an infomercial. They need someone who actually lives the faith, who's tested it out. That's what they're looking for. And that's what you can be for your friends for whom this whole faith thing doesn't make a lot of sense. She goes on. Like I said to you last night, I, recently I've been feeling like I want to become a Christian, maybe even start going to church and stuff. She did not say that to me. She said, do you really believe all that stuff in your book, or are you, or are you just trying to make Christianity sound good? But underneath here was this whole story, I had no idea, that she was feeling drawn toward God and drawn toward a life of faith. But she says, whenever I go to any church or read any church literature, I change my mind. Second thing I think people like April would like all of you all to know is that most churches aren't helping them. Our, our churches are doing a great job of helping the people who are already insiders. But for the people who are outside, our churches don't speak their language very often. We don't understand where they're coming from. We don't understand their, their hang-ups and their obstacles and their fears. And, and uh, as a wonderful songwriter, one of my favorites, Bruce Coburn, says, those who know don't have the words to tell, those with the words don't know so well. And so our churches end up competing to have the, the coolest music and the hottest sermons for a shrinking market segment of people I call the nuns, meaning the people who already attend church religiously. It's just a question of which church they'll attend. Our churches are not doing a good job for the, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, the people with no church background, or the duns, the people who used to go to church but are pretty much fed up with it. They've been there and done that. And then I think there's a growing number of people, maybe some of you all feel like the no funds, meaning they're still attending, but they're just hanging on by a thread because they've got questions. They've got some issues that aren't being addressed. It's, it's like my, friend, uh, my friends Dave Kinneman and Gabe Lyons said in a book they wrote called Unchristian. They interviewed 16 to 29-year-olds among the nuns and the duns, meaning the, the non-church attenders, and, and you'll see what their perceptions were of the Christian faith. You know, these are not positive perceptions. When they think of Christianity, they don't think of hope. They think of judgment and hypocrisy and, and negativity and insensitivity. And, and that's, why, uh, that's why April feels the way she does. I get so angry, and I don't know why, because I haven't had any overly negative experiences with the church. I get these horrible visions of brainwashing and the like. It's so frustrating for me because... I feel like I don't owe Christianity any breaks and that it deserves the tough microscope I put it under. And then she says, I don't want to let them win the Christianity argument or whatever. I think one of the things that April and people like her wish we could know is that they're not interested in arguments. They, they don't want to be argued into having faith. As soon as they hear arguments, evidence, demanding verdicts, pressure, you better accept this or you're illogical. You better accept this. When they hear that kind of pressure, it just automatically says to them, this isn't the kind of religion I want to be part of. What they really are looking for is people who are so committed to their faith that they're not insecure when other people ask questions. They aren't tense and insecure. People who are willing to listen to their stories, listen to their struggles, listen to their questions, and who want to offer, who, who are willing to... to enter into conversation with people like you who will ask them the kinds of questions that draw them out, but not the kind of questions that are test questions. Um, because the way you respond to them suggests to them whether you're a safe person or not. So you can ask, 
the non-threatening question. You know, where you're from? Tell me about your family. How's your weekend? Do you have any religious background? I mean, just non-threatening questions. Are you okay? You know, are you doing okay today? You care about how they're doing. Um, and, and that's what people are, are, are really looking for. People who will listen. People who will be safe conversation partners. People who um, will be there for them. And not just to get a notch on their belt of getting another convert or something like that. April continues, when I was reading your book today, at certain parts I felt so good, and at certain times I actually felt like I was about to cry because I, it felt like something was really getting through to me, but I feel like there's something holding me back. There's some sort of defense mechanism in me that tells me not to believe any of it. I guess that's probably why I asked you what I did last night. I need to make sure that I'm not being lured in just to find out once I go ahead and believe that a whole bunch of other stuff comes along with it that I can't feel comfortable with, and then my whole person will change, and I'll become closed-minded and bigoted and brainwashed and everything bad. I just can't feel that I can trust it. I don't know what to do. April is telling us that for a lot of people outside the faith, the reason they stay away is because they're worried if they become a Christian, they'll become a worse person than they already are. I mean, they might say, look, I drink too much, I smoke too much, whatever, but I don't need to become judgmental and bigoted on top of it, then I'll really be a mess. And that's why what they're looking for in you is not a sales pitch, they're looking for you to be an example, not of perfection, but an example of honesty, an example of growth, an example of integrity, that you're a real person. It's okay if you have mistakes, but you have to be honest about them and not cover up because we've seen what happens when religious people cover things up. They want to see, do you actually care about them as a person? They want to see how you cope with the difficulties in your life. They want to see how you get up again after you mess up. They want to see how you live life and how you love other people. Well, April end, ended her email, that first email to me. Oh, well, at the very least, I really enjoyed reading your book. It met me in every corner. That was frustrating in a way, but in a healthy way, like eating veggies or something. I'll try to write a review of it online when I get a chance. So I replied to April, and, um, and then she replied to me, and then I replied to her. And this went on for months. And a couple months later, she emailed me and told me she'd bought a Bible, and she was starting to read it. And then I got this email from her. Hey, Brian, how do you suggest dealing with the sexist, homophobic parts of the Bible? It hasn't been an issue yet, but it will be. Are you speaking on the 19th of June at church? I think I'll be in Maryland. But she didn't end up coming. But we kept on going back and forth with her questions. And, and you all know this. A lot of people my age, you know, your parents' generation, whatever, they're very uptight about issues like sexuality. But people need to have an open discussion about sexuality and not just get hammered with this is the only answer we accept around here. And they have questions about politics. And they have questions about what about people of, of other religions and all kinds of honest and important questions. They need a safe conversation partner to talk about. So I replied, she said, Brian, wow, I'm glad I emailed you about that because I've been thinking to myself, why am I even trying to like this? What good can it do for anyone? But after reading your interpretation of it, it makes a lot more sense. The Bible must be an extremely difficult document to read accurately. Is it worth it? Well, I, I again, kept emailing her, kept discussing, answering her questions, responding to her questions. I don't know if I answered them, but I tried to be honest. And, um, and what people like April want us to know about their questions is that they are their way of exploring the credibility of the faith, the plausibility of the Christian life. And it's not just your answers that they're checking out. They're checking out you, the kind of person you are. So when your friend asks you an honest question about faith, you know, don't 
Just think about the people looking over your shoulder. Are you giving them the right answer? But realize that for your friend, what they need to know is are you honest enough to say, gosh, I don't know. I've never thought about that before. That's a good question. Um, can I get back to you about that? Can I think about it some? Um, here's what helps me with that question. Uh, and then maybe even to respond by after you share, well, here's how that helps me, but how does that, does that work for you? And, and to honestly listen, maybe what helps you doesn't help them, and you'll learn something from them. That happened to me as a pastor. Over many years as a pastor, I had so many people who were outside the faith who were seeking, and they'd come to the church, and they'd ask me questions. And I realized a lot of times that their questions were better than my answers. And their questions actually forced me to rethink a lot of things in my own faith. I think I became a better, more thoughtful Christian through their friendship. And, and that's kind of what they're looking for, a friendship that, that goes both ways. She, she ended that email also on a completely different note. I remember when I was playing at your church. Now, this is five or six months earlier at this point when she'd been at that book signing party. Um, someone talked to me about some kind of service on Wednesday nights that they thought harp music would be really good for, continuous contemplative music. I think she said, I know it's far in advance, but I just wanted to offer to play for that whenever, once I get back to Maryland in September. I don't want to push myself on the church, but more and more the idea of playing for and through God has sounded appealing, and I remember how nice that service sounded. So if that sounds like something you might be interested in, I'd love to volunteer to do it. Take care. Now, how would you respond to this? She, a few months ago, was kind of atheist, agnostic, not sure what I believe about God. Now she's at the point where she basically believes in God, but certainly would not call herself a Christian. So I emailed her back and said, you're not doctrinally correct. We will not accept you to play harp. No, I didn't. I emailed her back and I said, uh, I, I said I, we'd love to have you help. Thanks for offering to help. And I contacted the people who ran that little contemplative prayer service. And I said, I've got this friend. She's kind of a seeker. She plays the harp. They said, hey, we'd love to have her help We'll take good care of her. And they did. They welcomed her in, and they didn't grill her. They treated her like a human being. And, and so she starts going to this Wednesday night service and starts playing. And then one Sunday, she came on a Sunday morning. And um, that night, I, I checked my email, and sure enough, I had an email from her. Here, here's what, she, here, here's what, what she, she wanted me to know. First, that she really appreciated that, I, that we had been willing in our church to include her in the life of the church, even though she didn't call herself a Christian. We were willing to accept her just as she was. And, and in your case, you might have friends who at some point, what they really need is to, is to not just be exposed to you, but to be exposed to a circle of friends, a faith community, where, where they can explore their commitment in the context of a community, because faith is kind of a team sport, not just a solo sport. So that might be your church. Your church might be the kind of place that you can invite some of your friends. But some people, if they're honest, they say, I, I, the people at my church aren't ready for my friends, and my friends aren't ready for the people at my church. So the best thing for you to do maybe is just to invite them over for dinner or invite them to a small group or a class or a missions trip or, or, or something where they can hang out with people of faith but be accepted uh, just as they are. Well, that night, here was the email that was, uh, was waiting. I just got up from a three-and-a-half-hour nap, taken immediately after I returned home from church. I was thinking about emailing you before I fell asleep because I wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed your message today. What you say is just so incredible. I had a dream during my nap that I wanted to tell you about. I not want to get really excited by dreams or anything like that. I feel sort of weird telling you, but I just have to. For some reason, out of the blue, though in the dream it didn't feel like it was out of the blue, you poured freezing cold water on my head and said the baptism thing in the name of the Father, Son, etc., etc. 
It was dripping all down my face everywhere, so much water, and it felt so good. And I just started to cry and saying over again, thank you, thank you so much. By the way, she's not saying that thank you to me. She's, that's kind of a prayer that she's saying. I said to you, I've been thinking about this for a while, but wasn't sure I was ready. And you said, you've been ready for a long time and gave me a hug. Now, you know how dream work, dreams work. In this dream, I think what's happening is she's been in this search, in this process, asking questions. And now it's almost as if in her dream, she's giving herself permission to say, you know what? I actually believe. I actually want to follow Jesus. I'm ready to make a commitment. Then I guess there was sort of a dream segue type thing, and I was sitting with my friend Kate, who at the last minute canceled out of going to my recital. I was sitting with her, giving her the cold shoulder because she had missed it, and it hurt my feelings. Then I remembered, wait a second, there's no turning back now. Jesus wouldn't have done this, and you have no right to. And I just apologized to Kate and said, it's okay, it went well. I understand why you couldn't make it. Of course, our friendship is just as strong as always. Then I woke up. I don't know. It just really affected me. I felt like I'd been on the verge of tears, happy tears, since I woke up. Thank you for helping me bring about such a change in my life. So in her dream, it's as if things are coming together with it for her now. She's ready to make a commitment. And it's not just a commitment to God, but it's also the sense that if I'm a follower of Jesus, I want to be reconciled to my friends. I don't want to hold bitterness to my friends. You, you understand, for her, faith is not just like it was for some of us, a kind of fire insurance policy or a free ticket to heaven. That's not what she's interested in. What she's interested in is a way of life that will teach her how to be a, a better human being, someone who doesn't hold resentment against her friends, somebody who's, who's part of God's healing in the world. She wants to be part of this bigger thing because I think what's been happening in April is that the Holy Spirit has been working on her, and, and whether it's in a dream or in our conversations or in all of these experiences, that God is actually at work. And I think that's true for all of your friends who would consider themselves not Christians, far away from the Christian faith. I actually think that God, God loves them just like they are. God doesn't have to wait to get them cleaned up. God loves them just like they are. And God's working in them. And you might be a very, very important bridge for them to get connected to God and for God to come through your life to touch them and can I say it this way, to let them see that God has a friendly face, not a, a furious, raging, dangerous, hateful face, but a friendly face through, through your face. You know, there was a, a, a story you may have, I bet some of you have heard about this story. I remember that horrible tsunami that happened a few years ago in, in uh, Banda Aceh, Indonesia, and, and this huge underwater earthquake happens, and a tsunami spreads across the Indian Ocean. First it hits Indonesia, then it hits Thailand, then it hits Sri Lanka, and it continues propagating westward and eventually hits the east coast of Africa. It's a long way away. And when it hit Africa, um, there was a mother hippo and a baby hippo in this river near the city of Mombasa, and the, the water picks up the mother hippo and the baby hippo, the big wave, and then when the water recedes, it sucks them out into the Indian Ocean where the mother drowned. And somehow the baby hippo managed to stay afloat and manages to get back to shore. So the next day, some Kenyans are walking along the beach, and they see this baby hippo, and they think, and it's crying, and it misses its mother, and it's hungry. And they think, you know, what do we do? You don't bring a baby hippo home and raise it in your bathtub, you know. So they, they call the local zoo in the city of Mombasa. They say, hey, there's this baby hippo here. 
and they send a pickup truck down. They somehow get the hippo into the truck, bring it back to the zoo, and they think, where are we going to put it? They didn't have an extra cage for a, a baby hippo. But they thought, well, you know, we've got this old tortoise um, who, um, you know, he basically sits around looking like a rock most of the time. And so we'll put the hippo in there because, you know, probably he won't even notice. So they put the baby hippo in with the tortoise. But what they didn't anticipate was the hippo missed his mother. And even though they came in with a big bucket, you know, with a nipple on it to feed milk to the baby hippo, he was still lonely. And when he saw this sort of rounded, living, breathing creature, it made him think of his mother. And he goes up and starts nuzzling it. No milk to be found, but there was companionship. And so the hippo bonds to the tortoise in the absence of its mother. Now, this is a tortoise. It's a reptile. Though all of you biology students know, reptiles have nothing in the way of maternal instinct, females as, as well as males. So the tortoise, when the hippo comes up and wants to snuggle up and be a friend, the tortoise runs at full speed away, saying, leave me alone, you creep, you know. Um, but the hippo is so desperate that it just keeps coming up and snuggling up to the tortoise. And, and what surprised the zookeepers over the next couple of weeks was not that the hippo bonded to the tortoise. That was explainable. What was completely unprecedented, completely unexpected, was that over time, the tortoise began to enjoy the company of the hippo, and the two of them actually seemed to develop a kind of a friendship. And it actually became quite a beautiful and tender thing, and um, uh, just a, a great story, true story of what happened. Now, this is your parable alert, OK? There are many reasons to compare our churches to an old male tortoise. I will let you fill in the blanks. But very often when our churches have all of these people outside who actually need us, we just pull in our shell, we give them the cold shoulder, we don't get them, we don't speak their language, we won't stick our neck out for them. And there are a lot of reasons to compare the changes going on in our world to a tsunami. When you think about the tsunami of change, it's left the people of our culture, including many, many of your friends, it's left them feeling like orphans. They've been orphaned by religion because religion hasn't understood them. It hasn't taken ser them seriously. It's only judged them and excluded them and um, condemned them. It, it, they, they feel orphaned by science because science promised all the answers but then ended up giving us an awful lot of new problems. They feel the same way about government. I mean, the economy. A few years ago, people thought the economy had the solutions to all our problems. Not too many people think that anymore. Technology, consumerism, progress. All of these things promise so much but in a sense have left our culture feeling orphaned without hope. And that's why I wonder if we as Christians, as followers of Christ, if the needs of your friends outside the church might elicit from you things that you never knew you had to offer them, what would happen if we could turn back outward toward our neighbors outside the faith with good news, hope, gentleness, and respect? Could it be that that would not only help our friends but it would also really make a difference for us.
Could it be that this is a moment of what God is doing in our world? Could it be that you can't become the kind of Christian that God designed you to be without friends outside the faith asking you good questions and eliciting new depths of understanding from you as well? That's my hope. I mean, we got hundreds of people in the room here, but think of the thousands of people who are friends of yours outside the faith. And God's presence could flow through you when so many other people are turning them away. You could be the channel of God's love to them. I really believe that, and I hope from us being together today that could maybe be possible. Let's pray together. Would you stand, please? Father in heaven, I thank you for these brothers and sisters here and for the privilege you've given me of being able to be here with them today. And I pray that your spirit will take these thoughts and these words and this time together. And I pray that maybe a new beginning will happen for some of us today. And maybe some of us feel more like April. We're the people with the questions. We're the people who this whole thing isn't making sense for. And maybe other people in this room will be friends for some of the people who have those questions here. So, Lord, will you please turn us, not from being, turn us away from being a little huddle of religious people who only speak to one another in their own language and help us become your hands, your feet, your smile, your ears, a friendly face showing your loving and generous heart. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a pleasure, you guys. God bless you. Have a fantastic day.